Hey, welcome back to Intimate Interactions. Let's get back to discussing the ways we share love and intimacy with our fellow humans. Relationships, kink, polyamory, group sex, it's time to unlearn stigma and live our best lives as our best selves. All thanks to my amazing Patreon supporters. Intimate Interactions has no ads but this one. If you want to keep it that way, you can go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon. You get access to exclusive premium content like all of my coping with jealousy stuff. And hey, if that makes you jealous of my patrons, it sounds like it might be time to sign up. Free resources are available at victorsalmon.com slash resources, and book recommendations are at intimatepodcast.com forward slash books. Also, my Patreon supporters don't have to listen to this ad. Now, let's talk about the episode. Have you ever heard of non-monogamous people having comet partners? Today we'll discuss what that means and how it's different from having long-distance relationships. Jazz Goldman and I talk about what a comet partner relationship might look like between the two of us. We also talk about sustainability and make a distinction between being a community-oriented non-monogamous person and being an individual-oriented non-monogamous person. One way to think of the difference is that community-oriented non-monogamy is focused on how we have impacts on our greater collection of lovers and our lovers' lovers. That is to say, our polycules. One way to think of individual-oriented non-monogamy is more like solo polyamorous folks, though not always. Not all solo polyamorous folks are going to be individually oriented. However, both of those, both of those ideas, being individual-oriented and being solo polyamorous, often have strong needs for personal autonomy, for space, and for independence. And if we take this radically personally autonomous stance, then we are each responsible only for ourselves. We essentially embody more of an individual-oriented philosophy in that space than a community-minded one that's more focused on our needs for connection and harmony in our polycules. Sustainability of relationships and that question of thinking about how does this new relationship fit in the context of my polycule is an important assessment for me. Even if I do have strong needs for autonomy and independence, my personal opinion is the information you get from asking that question is good for everyone, even if they're extremely individually oriented in how they practice their consensual non-monogamy. Also, I think if there's an aversion to asking that question or thinking about one's polycule, there may be some trauma there from monogamous folks that have thrown a lot of shame on top of your practice of consensual non-monogamy, and it might actually not be serving you. It might be damaging how you practice consensual non-monogamy. Perhaps the pendulum of focusing on another person's needs and focusing on one's own needs has swung too far. I'm just going to throw that out there as a maybe. That's a you question to answer, not a me question to answer, but worth thinking about. So now I will give you my conversation with Jazz Goldman about long distance lovers here on Intimate Interactions. You ready to do another one? Yeah. Okay, let's do it. So on the topic of intention setting, because we talked a lot about expectations and boundaries last episode, I'm curious to talk about this idea that, well, firstly... The summary from the last episode, what are we? The last one that we recorded that this is sort of taking off from Mm -hmm. um, is that we are lovers who interact sexually. We really enjoy intellectual interaction. We enjoy emotional interaction. Um, I dare say that we are still in that honeymoon phase of like that first few weeks because like you said, we have interacted with each other just over seven total days now in terms of knowing each other and interacting. Uh, in person. In person. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a good clarification. Thank you. Yeah, we've it's known been each other months. now for a couple of months, yeah. but we've only actually spent physical time together for less than a week. Yeah, that's true. And um, I would add musical to the, mm. the things that... Uh, music and, and arts in general. I do really enjoy that. Also, this is Jazz, by the way. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jazz Goldman. So talking about long-distance relationships, do you feel like... Um, you need more of an introduction or do you feel like other than being a non-monogamous queer human? I mean, um, there's not that much. No, I'll just tell it as as we go. So what has your experience been with long distance relationships? It's been really mixed, um, but largely positive. Awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, I have technically been engaging in long distance relationships with one 
person or persons or other since I was about 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the scanning that I'm doing in my brain is I, <laughs> I like met an intentional community and then that's the same group of people I went to Burning Man with. Mm. And many of those people were slash are non-monogamous. Um, so there's a lot of conflating things in my early sexuality that I have to be like, so when did that long distance person that I met at Burning Man and like, you know, that kind of right, thing. Right. Um, what do you yeah. mean by intentional community? Um, it literally in this instance means there was a guy who did some personal work and came up with some ideas for what he thought of as a community built on shared values perhaps yeah that's yeah that's an even broader summary i was gonna say like the idea of freedom but no right it's built on yeah so that's typically how i heard it too i was just curious to see if you're using it differently yeah but typically i hear intentional as a word used to mean people who associate over shared values Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. whether that's intentional housing intentional communities etc yeah well said i would argue the sex community that i'm part of is an intentional community as well that was my brief impression. Although I'm not a hundred percent sure if there's like a quote unquote manifesto or like mm-hmm. draft of those values. It's just kind of understood from the culture. Yeah. Which is a really cool way to build things and not a way that I typically build things, but a way I probably should start doing things. <laughs> not that I want to shuttle over myself anyways. <laughs> so have you heard the term comet partners? And if you have, what do comet partners mean to you? So I hadn't heard this term until you told it to me. <laughs> and um, I was very pleased that you did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I inferred more or less what it meant. And so what what I understand it to mean is is like mining the the concepts of a comet, which is something that appears cyclically, but not at all times. Mm-hmm. It's a sometimes thing, not an all the times thing. And there's this mm-hmm. idea of it returns to the same spot. So that's like, um, that's the comet part. And then the... <laughs> Sorry, I'm struggling to get a pillow in my chair and apparently my physical comedy of struggling to silently get this pillow to support my back. I try not to laugh and make it a thing, but um, oh, yeah, for better. a limber person, it seemed it seemed like really hard for you. I was just trying actively not to bump the microphone or table. So I was Success. like moving very slowly. Um, Sorry. That's fine. That's the comment part. Yeah. And then the partner part is, I mean, I define partnership as an intentional committed relationship of some sort. Right. Commitment is the, is the, what it can look like is different part. Right. But. I think having a partner implies a level of commitment. And that's the thing that you define. I, I think of it as a level of expectation. Okay. Because for me, I think the word oh. commitment gets too tied up in monogamy and it gets too tied up in like assumptions and scripts. So I tend to use the word expectation more to be like, well, what are the expectations or agreements that we have? Which is, I think, what commitment breaks down to. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Agreements, I think that works. agreements and expectations for me. It's funny because I think I, I, know, I would have had a similar like oh no this word versus that but I I happen to have done in this intentional community a like basically a self-designed day-long workshop in which the theme was called commitment slash I do and it was playing on that idea it wasn't like the people were not marriage uh, whatever promoters proselytizers right like they were not doing that but it's funny yeah normally Commitment should should be like uh, gag for, for mean, my very non-normative sure. self, not I, for other people, but sure. for myself. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was I was going to jump in with like I mean there are legitimate reasons yes. for commitment. Like, yes, sure. Yes, and I mean I think people can be very committed to non-monogamous partnerships. Yeah, right, right. So I mean I see commitment as like a part of a lot of relationships including non-normative ones. I think it just really depends on how the word's getting used. I tend to use the word only when talking about like steadfast resolve to continuing a relationship through problems. Mm-hmm. So that's how I tend to use the word because I find it's very effective at communicating that. 
Yeah, and I find that partnerships necessitate what you just described. Right, resolve to communicate through hardship and, like, resolve problems. Yeah, because otherwise you're not partnering, which, like, the teaming aspect, requ- uh, to me, signifies that motivation to do the work. Like, you mm. both are invested together, or in more mm-hmm. configurations than two, obviously. Sure. That's That's how they kind of all tie in my brain. It's like the idea of... If you would bother to have someone call a partner or call you a partner, right. it's because of inherent agreements and commitments and what was the other word you used instead of expectations? Yeah, all of those things. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <sighs> so you were like, maybe we're comet partners. Yeah, that's that's sort of what what I had said because I feel like we have a lot of really good things going in our interactions together, and in addition to that, um, you're going to be living in New York. You're going to be on a different ocean mm-hmm. and in a different country. And that makes it very difficult to get together. Um, but when we do, it's sort of like, oh, look, the comet's coming back. Yeah. And then we can have another fun three days or however many we have. Right. If that's the thing you want to do and if that's the thing that works in our polycules and configurations and like. I'm all solo poly. Oh, yeah. That's also why it was funny to answer the question from the last episode of like, how so do you. So great. Like I, it's right for some people. I, I'm a very community oriented, non-monogamous person. Yeah. Do you find yourself fairly community oriented as well? Yes. I would say that that was like a sign thing. A sign thing. A sign oh, that I noticed. Astrological sign? Oh no, a sign. Oh, I see, of I see. compatibility. I okay. was like, oh, you do that thing. Right. I love that thing. I've tried to do that at slash have done it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, community non-monogamy is great. I find, like, metamorships that I've had have been very rewarding friendships. And, like, I was very lucky that when I first came into non-monogamy, like, the, the, the pair for whom I was a bit of a unicorn was just so lovely and so committed to fostering a safe and loving environment for me that I was just like, I couldn't have had a better introduction to non-monogamy. You had a good unicorn intro to As non-monogamy. my very first relationship. Isn't you that... deserve that, though. Aw, thank you. That's great. Ben, like, that doesn't happen very often. No. But, like, my metamor was, like, just really experienced and, like, really thoughtful and, like, yeah, just was a person I intellectually really, like, gravitated towards and our partner together was really fun hot (laughs) kinky all the things Mm -hmm. was it was a high level sex educator or was at least a mid-level sex educator in in this small pool that was vancouver i wonder i think i'm mid-level i don't know if i'm high level yet how does one get that title i think you have to be international to call yourself a high level educator at least and i think you have to be like international like doing international every year as opposed to like i did international once which is more me i mean i technically co-facilitated a workshop in toronto years ago unpaid (laughs) canada you have to be paid a paid international and at that point i think you can call yourself a high level sex educator because very few people get paid and like getting paid internationally is even better because they have to also pay for your flight so they pay for your flight first which i don't count as being paid and then they have to pay you money over and above your costs and i think that's where a person becomes high level travel accommodations are not payment that's the way that I look at it. They're I'm like, part of the package. You have to travel to do the work. But, yeah. So I don't That's think That's like being paid in drink tickets and calling it pay. Like, yeah, it's not. It's, it's not. It's, it's a thing if right. you get that and enjoy a few beverages. Sure, but it's, it's a perk at best, but it's yeah. not like you can take your flight money and spend it on groceries. Well said. So it's like, <laughs> it's still a requirement of doing the work for me. <laughs> so I, I see it as like, but the, the fucked up thing is with the way visas work, I can't do work in the U.S. So they literally can't pay me. And that's such a good excuse for like organizers to be like, well, like you don't have a visa. And if you don't have a visa, we can't pay you. And I'm like, that's right. If I got a visa, would you pay me? And like 99% of them will be like, no. Yeah. So it's not worth going through getting a visa. Right. Well, if if I can ever help you to get money in the U.S., Aww. I'll do it through the legal channels. Yeah, so that that's you can how, actually get paid. That's that's how I feel too. Is that like we should be helping each other navigate legal channels for these things because it's legitimizing, right? And it's hard. Like the shit. And isn't sex simple. has no fucking borders. It shouldn't. 
I think it does. <laughs> Not in my mind. Not in my body. <laughs> what's... <laughs> I think what's so neat about that is this idea that... Like... Untrue. There are physical borders and boundaries for my body. I was being hyperbolic. <laughs> um, yeah, is this idea that, like, governments want to tax what you earn. But, like, the idea of, like, happiness or, like, tourism or you know, like meeting people, starting relationships, having sex, that whole realm is like, oh, we want to give you your freedom there. I think. I think that's the motivation. And that's great. Oh, you mean the fact that you can do all those other things? Right, without having to get like a visa, like a fucking visa. Could you imagine? I hope we're not moving towards that kind of world. Me too. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that, I think. But if you do sex as work, not only do they want you to have a visa, they want you to get the fuck out of the country. Like they won't even let you in. Mm-hmm. and I don't do sex work like that. However, I have done camming stuff in which I did not leave my country, which is totally fine. As long as you're not going to do sex work internationally, people don't care. I mean, you I guess it depends on which people. You can't do camming internationally? I think you can because the work is done locally and the product is sold internationally. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But then taxes become complicated because it's a sale in the U.S., even though the work wasn't done in the U.S. So you don't need a green card to do the work. It gets complicated, right? Because borders are bullshit. Sex education is really hard internationally. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about long-distance relationships. Yes, long-distance relationships. Um, So (laughs) since you've had such positive experiences in long-distance relationships, I know you wanted to mention Esther Perel's mating in captivity. Do you want to talk about some benefits of long-distance relationships? Yeah, yeah. So... Um, I'm going to butcher her theory. So just go read her book, Mating in Captivity, particularly read it if, if you are still struggling with the larger question of like, why would this work? Why do people want more than one person in their life romantically at a time? Sex at Dawn is another good book to read. If you're like unsure how quote unquote natural non-monogamy is, go read Sex at Dawn. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Esther does a, a different like sort of biological sociological perspective on the why that's that's connected to sex at dawn of course but her whole thing is that novelty is what brings people together plus Mm. their own independent sense of selves and lives like the person you fall for is the person who has all that shit going on Mm -hmm. not you and them together that's not what you fall for Mm -hmm. and so to an extent keeping that alive um, both by allowing each other to have real independence as mm-hmm. people in the relationship with one another, but also like um, literal space and distance are boons, according to her theory, mm-hmm. around uh, maintaining long-term relationships that are that are pleasurable, like right. where you still want to fuck each other right. sometimes, if where not you, a lot. Where you still have that sense of novelty and excitement about each other. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, people change so much over time, and I think I think that's healthy. I think I think changing over time, even if you're a person who very much identifies as, like, I don't like change, mm-hmm. I like very much being the same person, I like everything to be organized, and, like, you know, people with anxiety over change, those people still cultivate different perspectives over time and yep. different knowledge and wisdom. And I think it's, if you look back even a year, you'll think differently than you did a year ago. And I think that's much more pronounced over two years or five years or ten years. Yeah, or, or sometimes it's six months if we're talking about anal, which we will at another point. <laughs> yes, that's true. Whole new worldview in six months is possible. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's sort of like the big, broad ideas that I took from from reading the book, um, and that are about this question: like, what works in long distance relationships is the distance, mm. if. You're able to deal with the things that are sad that are connected to that, you know? But yeah, like if you can wade through the not being around each other, you'll often have bang in experiences when you do finally link up again. Mm -hmm. Pun intended. (laughs) I see what you did there. (laughs) So in terms of keeping long distance relationships interesting, do you have any like activities or like stories or tips or tricks for Mm -hmm. people? Mm-hmm. I, yes, but I also have like 
just a general thing of like find a way to have a constant form of communication and not constant as in nonstop, but continual, I should say, whether that's like text predictable, whether that it's not about predictability, it's about continuity. So like what makes long distance relationships hard in terms of developing the relationship is the incontinuity is the not being around <laughs> each other. Wait, yes. that's no, not the right word. No, you're totally okay. right. You could say lack of continuity, but I knew exactly when you said that. It was it, just funny that you almost went the route of incontinence. <laughs> Which is... I, like, I was hearing your brain parse through that as like incontinuity. Sure. Conjugating on the fly. There we go. But um, Language is hard. I love it though. All right. Well, you keep wording. <laughs> wording is hard. I like. I actually saw it as a sign when you said that you dated a, a language person. A I was like, yes, a doctor, a, a doctoral candidate for linguistics, who yes. is then a master's candidate. I was just like, yeah. <laughs> if you liked someone enough that liked language that much, you'll you'll probably keep liking me on some level. <laughs> Not that there's a competition. Anyway. Um, sure. But so, it's an so, interest. Yeah. Finding a way to have regular communication that leaves both or more people feeling connected, feeling not estranged, you know, that is really key. You start with texting. That's kind of the easy modern way. I've been super enjoying what, WhatsApp. Not WhatsApp, excuse me. Marco Polo. Mar I don't know what that is. Marco Polo is a video messaging app. Oh. And so it's all it's all compressed in the app. In we were not we were not paid to say this go on. No, we weren't. I I've been using it for friendships actually, and that's part of why I would even recommend it. Hmm. For this, uh, yeah, maybe I'll just say that like employ the tools that you use for friendships. Mm. Think a lot about your long distance relationship as a friendship because that's what's left. If, I mean, the sexual chemistry is obviously a thing that can be communicated without physical contact. Sure. And that stays, too. But if you're not next to someone who you're into in that sexy way, then what's left is all the other things that make up a relationship, which are more or less friendship. And, to, there, to are, and there are ways of translating sex as well. Like, you can do phone sex. You, yeah. can do, um, you can do sex over video messengers. You can do masturbation games you can mm -hmm. do like challenges even mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. tons of fun things you can write each other erotica like and i've done a lot of those things so thanks for listing them so i didn't have to pull it out of my brain <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> but there are a million ways that you can keep things sexy you can even do chastity if you really want to be difficult on each other or perhaps really helpful sexual it... and orgasm um Controls denial control denial. yeah is a fun ass way to to play with tension and it can make you desperate so my my only point of advice is don't be inconsistent with that if you're good i'm seeing the look of shock on jazz's face right now <laughs> if you're gonna play with something as intense as orgasm denial you have to be there and show up and be consistent unless it is your pre-negotiated dynamic not to be yeah which is i don't know why you would do that but some to each their own teach their own I wouldn't personally be okay with it. Right, yeah. <laughs> I would be like, if I've been waiting days to get off, I want you there. Tips and tricks. What else is like a a tip besides think of it like a friendship, find a, a good ongoing way to be in regular communication mm -hmm. that is that is not intense because you can't always be having an hour and a half long Zoom call. Right. Right? Like that's not realistic. You wouldn't do that if you were in the same place. Right. Also, keep in mind that Zoom can record your calls. <laughs> yes, but you have to choose that feature. That's true. Zoom, Facebook video call, um, Google. Can Facebook video record Hangouts. Well? I don't know if Facebook can record them. You know what, though? No matter what you're using, you can always use a screen capture to just record the video of your screen as well, along with audio. Mm -hmm. So regardless of what you're doing, it can be recorded. Just Signal does know. calls, right? Signal does do calls. Yeah. And it is encrypted end to end. But what the user does on the other end, there's no reason. I don't think Signal has anything built in to stop you screen capturing at the other end. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it would probably be one of the safest options. Mm -hmm. But if you're worried about that also. Right. So those things are all, all good. And what's another tip for long distance relationships? I think there are lots of ways to like try to work with the things that make relationships work, like ideas of novelty, ideas of arousal. Like you're essentially looking for like games, activities, and interactions that are going to highlight things like 
novelty, like, hey, I just bought a new sex toy. Do you want to tell me how to use it? Like those kinds of things. That's a good one. Um, yeah. Which is, I think, why I was like, think of it like a friendship because, right. I, you know, the, one of the things we do is we have a different script for friends than we do for other intimate relationships, and right. it's it's um they're not mutually exclusive. Right. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like the ways that we interact, I find like I do think of them modularly. Like I do think of like the different ways I interact with friends, working with lovers. Maybe not vice versa. Right. But like there's definitely like almost a sense of hierarchy or like riders where like for this interaction policy, you have to check the following boxes if you want to get fucked in the ass. Um, If you want to do BDSM, Uh like those sorts of things. And those like other sort of like addenda or riders to that sort of like group of activities that we do and the ways we interact. It would just like include all the other stipulations like... Am I comfortable negotiating with this person? Do I feel safe initiating with this person? Am I comfortable this person is going to be really clear about their boundaries? Those sorts of things. Yeah. But of course, that's me being an engineer about the whole thing. (laughs) So what do you think our suitability is to to doing that style, like a comet partner-y kind of long distance-y thing? And like, what do you think makes us suitable for it? And... If not, what are your concerns specifically, like, or both? Like, what mm-hmm. what makes us suitable and what would you be concerned about? I think a big thing that makes us suitable is a real understanding of, like, deep flexibility and fluidity. Mm. Like, we're both non-binary, so that, I think, helps. Mm-hmm. Um, but apart from identity... And gender and I've things n- like that. Yeah, I've noticed that... Like I've I've like seen you do kind of relationship negotiation a bit. I don't know if you've seen me do that as much. I mean, we've done it sort of with each other. Yes, but I've like also watched you do it with other people too. Right. And um, the way that you're able to allow for what is meant to come up, while also still having like boundaries and tracking what is what's literally happening in the moment, because sometimes people get so caught up in the feelings that they've forgotten that like we've been sitting in this cafe for an hour or we've only been sitting in this cafe for 10 minutes and X, Y, and Z has come up. Like people can't track those things. And I've noticed that you're good at like the grounded real world happenings. And I don't always feel that way, but I really appreciate you saying so. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen you lose track of time, you know, you're not a perfect human. Yeah. Just perfectly attractive to me right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just watching. Uh I can kind of see it. Even though the lighting right now is poor for it. Uh (laughs) Go on. Um, yeah, so like the real world things you gotta track versus mm-hmm. well this this person may have been upset and it, this this incident was sitting on these things that I know are hard for them or like like it, it's an ability to to move with people as they are constant changing um dynamic beings. Like that I think makes you very suitable for me and I believe I can do those things too. So I would assume that that makes me suitable for you. <laughs> um, yeah. So you were talking about, I kind of drifted off somewhere else dealing with the blushing. So I'm, Ooh. would you be, would you be willing to summarize that again for me? Because being the imperfect human I am, I kind of spaced That's through really what cute. you were saying, but I'm hearing you talking about me being grounded in the world and also being able to, were you talking about parsing through difficult ideas? Was that what you Difficult were ideas or like, I'm trying to describe wh- what fluid, what I mean when I say fluid about what I've witnessed and relationships. But I just, I think it's really true for long distance and true for other things, but particularly with long distance, if you're not able to like take things as they come, mm-hmm. it's going to create more obstacle than there even needs to be. Mm-hmm. Like you've got to be or I think not you've got it, but it would, it would be in service of a positive experience if one were able to 
not get miffed because you were 20 minutes late on a call because your train was running late, you know, sure, like something beyond your control, it, it, but it doesn't have to always be beyond control. It can be like you, I don't know, like you, your dog had something come up or sure. like you, you couldn't different get over the stress of something that happened before. So you were running late for the call or sure. whatever. Like, I sure. don't know. These examples are too close together, but I, I don't know. I mean, they're good. They're good examples. You described having anxiety. You described having like a prioritization of pet health. Um, you described something totally beyond your control, like transit, just something that comes up life. Um, and those are all. Like... Oh yeah. Like I was late to get picked up yesterday. Yeah. Because someone on my bus held the whole fucking bus up, and we don't know right. why, and we'll never know why. And I was late to get to um, a counseling appointment, so I had to leave you at the hotel until I was done my counseling appointment. And it was like, hey, I'm here. It's 20 minutes past, you know, yeah. when when I thought your ETA was, yeah. and I'm going to go to my counseling appointment because I don't want to miss my session. It's really important to me this week. Yeah. And you were like, cool. Yeah, I respect that. And your bus got in and you waited and then I picked you up when I was done and it was no problem really for and either of us. it really could have been a problem could have been for a one problem. or both of us, right. depending. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I know. was, when I was waiting, like I had to remind myself not to be anxious and that it was okay if I left you at the hotel because mm-hmm. I was anxious about your response when you were like, why isn't my ride here? But you knew before coming in that I was going to a counseling appointment. Right. So it was like, I had done a really good job of setting expectations around here are my concerns around like all the things I'm doing. And if this is your ETA, yes, I can pick you up. Right. Right. Um, right. So it was, again, it comes back to just having like communication that facilitates flexibility because you already knew what my concerns were before you showed up. Yeah. I think having things be flexible is just a general good goal. I think so. If it's, if it's yeah, it's a good goal. <laughs> and we're not always going to be successful at it, and that's okay. Yeah. 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 Ugh. That alone is a reason to feel like I think that we're suitable for doing long distancey things just because yeah. like that flexibility i agree is so valuable the other thing i, w- I was going to say that is i think real important at least to me is um there i've already gotten a taste of what it's like to communicate with you over time mm-hmm. so like it, we don't have a lot of facetime but we do have uh two and a half months now of talking in different mediums you know sure um like texting or phone calls uh-huh uh-huh Video calls, mm-hmm. group phone calls, mm-hmm. like... Group phone calls. You're thinking of group sex, which is a different podcast we will record. Ha! But we had, like, negotiate, negotiation yep. phone calls that included another person besides us. Yep. Group phone calls. Group phone calls. Group. <laughs> yes. But yes, so and that's those, another yes. piece. Like, I saw that the communication happened in a way that already worked for me Mm -hmm. and it's literally been our long distance communication. So that's very suitable. Yeah. That's a really good point. A lot of the communication we did leading up to this visit was long distance. Beta testing it, if you will. Beta testing. So in what cases would you consider the needs of your polycule before getting into new relationships as a SOPO human, (laughs) just short for solo polyamory for those not, Oh man! Not following the ling the lingo of the kids these days. The youths. The youths. That's how. <laughs> did you just reference my cousin Vinny, or were you generally? I referencing... sure did, and you caught it. Amazing, as opposed to referencing New Yorkers in general. I was like, I'm pretty sure that is a these two youths yes. from my cousin Vinny. Yes. Fantastic. Which is not even a major movie in my life, but my mother likes that movie a lot. <laughs> And so, like, in our family, we have one-liners that we quote, like, it's just become part of, and youths, the two youths is like a thing. And I love that you caught it (laughs) as a non-New Yorker. Um, I am, I am learned in the, in the references department. Yeah, yeah. Fuck, what was, what what were we even saying? (laughs) We were talking about when we would consider the needs of our polycule. Oh, (laughs) 
and forming relationships. And out of that question came a reference to my cousin Vinny. Oh, gosh. Solid. Um, so, oh, that's because I was talking about SOPO, which was how kids are talking these days. That makes sense. Okay. Right. So we used a 25-year-old movie as a reference for the things that kids are talking about these days. I mean, it's it's definitely how, like, I feel old. So I think using a reference that's a quarter century old is, like, reasonable. To be like, we are old. Let us reference this quarter century old movie to illustrate how, like, up with the times we are as old people. Yep. So that happened. And I forgot the question again. So we're talking about, um, we're, so we're talking about the idea of individualistic non-monogamy versus community-minded non-monogamy. When do you consider the polycule? Bef- when when do you consider the many over the one? Ah, uh, you decided to take this to a Spock place. Spock place, four musketeers place. Right. When is it all for one versus one for all? Ah, uh, I see. I see. I see. I didn't realize that was a Musketeers reference. Like, I knew that that was, but I didn't know that implication was there. I thought it was always assumed to be both. I think it is for the Musketeers. Oh, I see. Is that they try to live by both those... Axioms. Yes. Yeah. Yes, which are difficult. Yes. I, in general, spend less time thinking about other people because my personal values around non-monogamy are such that I really value independence. Um, And I think uh, spending too much time thinking about the many versus me is to the detriment of everyone. Interesting. Um, Having said that, it's a really fucking delicate balance. And I'm a communally minded person. So in a lot of ways, I got there because of thinking more in the group than I should have, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you you asked specifically when, though, right? Like, what circumstances? Yeah, like, in what circumstances? Because, I mean, like, I think it's always important to at least consider the polycule, right? Like, to give it a, to give it a sort of shake in your head, dust it off, and be like, how, how, are, how is this going to impact people around me? In the same way that being a good citizen of anything, you're thinking about, like, how is this going to impact my community? At the same time, um, I also share a lot of values for autonomy and independence, and um, and I and I think there's a lot of responsibility, sure, but like fund- fundamentally, it's still your body, it's still your relationships, yeah. and I'm more in line with the idea of yes, let's be completely community-minded, and also, um, I don't think a third party should ever dictate the the terms or conditions of a relationship between two different people. Yes. I would say that no relationship should overly dictate the terms of another. Like it's different if, if we're doing solo versus a long-term committed partnership. Like sure, sure. But even in that instance, like the the couples things, just to use a couple, sure, shouldn't supersede the solo person's things as a default either. You know, right? And and I think sometimes it becomes very clear that people are being used as need fulfillment machines. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very unethical practice personally, because it's typically done without consent. Right. Um, And that's not to say that you can't use someone as a needs fulfillment machine. Um, I'm trying not to get into a very personal example. My point being um, that like in kink and with consent, using people is a lot of fun and can be very fulfilling for all parties. When we're talking about, Typically, we're talking about a hierarchical form of non-monogamy where you would have, yeah, typically you see it as like a married couple that's opened their relationship Mm -hmm. um, and the married partner, for the sake of security, has decided that they have complete control over all the relationships to the other person and that if they they request more like demand, Mm -hmm. um, that partner has to either end the marriage or... Um, never speak to their other partner again, which can lead to these really awful situations where people don't get closure. They don't feel respected. Um, sometimes people don't even tell them it's over. They just stop talking to them altogether. Veto power is really intense. Veto power, like I can see situations where hierarchically minded people want to have power like that, but it is power exchange. There's no question in my mind that veto power is not unlike any other form of dominance and submission. It is absolutely a form of power exchange, and I don't think it's advisable for people to do power exchange without education on power exchange. 
Yeah. So when people talk about like, I mean, oh, that's part fine. of why I'm here, not in another location this weekend, is because of not even full on veto power, but just very strong discussion and suggestion of it. I was right. like, oh, mm mm, right. That's not okay for me. Yeah. Some people can can wade through that. Sure. And sometimes veto power can be used in a really mindful, discretionary, temporary way. Yeah. And that's a separate kind of thing. It can be nuanced, like any power exchange, right? There we go, yeah. It's like absolutely veto power can be super ethical if it's educated and informed and used with care and consideration for the humans involved. For everyone, not just the person who wants to call the veto, right? right? But for everyone else involved in that situation Mm -hmm. as well. So ultimately, it comes down to power exchange. And most people that are not kinky will look at veto power and be like, Oh yeah, this seems really simple. I'm I'm unhappy. I say no. Everything's fine, right? Yeah. But it, it's so objectifying to other people involved in that power exchange yeah. that if you did anything like that in a BDSM community, holy shit, um, the reaction of the community alone against you could be so bad that you wouldn't be allowed to stay in that community. You or, would hope. Well, I mean, it depends, right? Because there are going to be people that stay, but then they just have this really bad reputation where no one wants to play with them. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, that person did this horrible thing once, and like, but I, but again, these are these are very like judgmental words I'm using. Sure. The point I'm trying to get across is that veto power is fundamentally power exchange and should be done with care and education. Yeah. So even though I'm very much a non-hierarchical, non-monogamous person that doesn't like practicing um, non-monogamy in and around veto power, if there were like a suitable like discussion expectation setting we're going back to all those boundary setting like relationship yeah. words intention setting like what's the intention behind establishing a power dynamic like veto what are the expectations around it and what are people's boundaries and if the quote unquote um tertiary or secondary or whatever term common partner i mean i don't think those are even on the same level because like comet describes a style it doesn't necessarily imply power a comet can be just as important as any other partner, potentially. Yeah, that's how I meant it when I brought <clears throat> it up. Maybe I didn't say it. I was talking about hierarchy terms for someone in a lower position of power, someone like a secondary or a tertiary or all these other terms that oh, get used for like... Oh, I see. I guess I sort of just made the assumption that because of lack of... Uh, because of distance that a comet partner would de facto have less power. That's maybe right. just like a thing I feel. Which right is now. which is a bit of an assumption. Yeah, it I is. Think, I, I didn't think catch it until you rephrased. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying you're necessarily wrong. Sure. Right. Because typically, like longevity is going to imply a degree of intimacy and connection. Typically, but not always. Right. So if a person's been with someone for five years versus two years, um, and you know, for some reason, problems come up where they absolutely have to choose. I think it's very human a lot of the time to typically go with longevity if all other things are kept the same. Because mm-hmm. it's sort of like, I have more shared experiences with this human. And it has almost nothing to do with like the value of longevity. Well, maybe it does. Um, but, but what I'm trying to say, I suppose, is there is value in longevity as well. Yeah. So I understand why like the, the instinct is almost to go to a place where someone who's newer, who spent less than a fortnight with me, would immediately assume that they have less power, less control, et cetera. Yeah. Um, whereas I think for me, it's less important to talk about power between partners or to make those comparisons. Because if partners aren't interacting directly, it's not my place, in my opinion, to like institute a metamorship or police a metamorship. Like that isn't mm. even about mm-hmm. me. A metamorship would by which I mean a relationship between people I'm in relationships with. So for example, two of my partners being in a friendship with each other, that would be a metamorship. That doesn't involve me. It might be about me sort of, but I don't get a say in that relationship in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's healthy. Because it comes back to a third party trying to show their power over two other people in a relationship. And to me, that doesn't ring true as like strictly ethical. I'm not saying it couldn't be because you could negotiate that the same way you'd negotiate a veto. It's power over other people, but it's power over other people. It's not me being directly in a relationship with someone. It's two people in a relationship that doesn't involve me even though it might be because of me Mm -hmm. 
you can introduce people that later go on and get married. And that doesn't mean you own a share of their assets or you have parental control over their kids. Although some people take it nearly there. Some people are like that. They're like, I got you together, you know, and then they have all of these expectations about what that means with their place in the the connection. Yeah, that's kind of interesting and weird, but also fine. Like I've... It's best not to have expectations about couples. I learned that. It's best After not marrying have... a couple and then not really seeing them for the better part of a year. Oof. I was like, that's that sounds, right. That sounds Their relationship is about them. Right. Yep. And that comes back to intention and expectation setting and boundaries. Yeah. And by boundaries, I mean like what relationships are you willing to be a part of and what relationships you're not. Because for me, boundaries are limits you put on yourself and your own participation and engagement and interaction. Right. So if I say, I don't want my partner going and doing X, Y, and Z, that isn't a boundary for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? That's it's not. At best, it's an agreement that that person enters into with me. Right. And the distinction between an agreement two people make that they may choose at any time to say, you know what? I've rethought my, my, my desire to be involved in this agreement. Mm-hmm. And I have now decided moving forward, I'm not going to honor this agreement. That's consent, friends. Yeah, that's a. And I know I'm going to be very unpopular saying that with some folks, but if somebody says specifically, "I have not broken this agreement yet. I am going to break this agreement. I no longer want to be in this agreement with you." It is they're consent just revoking that the agreement can, to the arrangement, which should be a part of any ongoing consensual relationship. The ability to do that. Yes, and yeah. just like with any sex, it's yeah. the same thing. It's like yeah. if a person says, "You know what." I'm choosing to do something radically different with my life now. I'm sorry if I didn't give you a lot of lead up or if I didn't give you time to emotionally process. Um, and of course, this is an ideal case scenario, right? A lot of people won't apologize. They'll just yeah. be like, I have... Deal with it. Well, and typically, I think a lot of that resentment comes from denying oneself and not having the language to communicate, which comes back to intentions. If a person's like, wow, I'm really conflicted. I have this intention to go off and date this other person and, you know, this let's say person B and person A is like, hey, I'd really like to reaffirm our connection right now. And that person's like, of course, I'll reaffirm all of our connection. And then like, you know, a week later is like, you know what? I decide I want to renege on all of our agreements and I'm going to go and pursue person B. Um, Again, this is a very monogamous-y example, which is like kind of squicky on a lot of levels for me because it's like... But it's real. But it's real. It happens. Yes. Like a lot. Yes. In fact, I had someone who was married at one point refer to it as the poly shuffle which I don't like at all. In fact, I don't even like talking about polyamory as poly um, outside of contexts where it's absolutely implied by the context. So, like, I kind of don't like the idea of Van Poly being called Van Poly or Poly 101 being called Poly 101 because I feel like it steps on a lot of namespaces. And in some cases, there are racialized considerations. And I don't really oh, care. Yes. I don't really care if some French person came up with Polynesia. It doesn't matter what the highly, you know, racist history might be of a thing. Um, we use plenty of things with highly racist histories all the time. Yes. All the time. Yes, we really do. Literally, the organization. Like we call a shirt a wife beater still. Like, I don't personally, but that is still a name for a tank top. That's true. Or a singlet, if you prefer. Hey. Um, I didn't realize that was racialized, per se. Well, sorry, not racialized. It's not. It's not, but it's... It's like, in reference to violence against women, for sure. But it's also just like a... There are many words and phrases in sure, our language that, that are histories. There we go. Yeah, that are harmful even to sure. use. I think that that was kind of the point I was making. Like, sure, yeah. And quite I, the way that I'm looking at it is like let people identify how they're going to identify, and if Polynesian folks identify as Polynesian folks, I don't think it's our purview to say. But that's a word that French people came up with, so we're actually just going to like walk all over your namespace. It's like I don't know. I mean, they had the namespace first, and like it's not a big deal to call it polyam or polyamory or nonmonogamy. They're really not that. Like it isn't a huge hardship. Yeah. Whereas like having Polynesian folks be like, I'm really looking to meet other Polynesian folks. I just moved to a new place because it's a very diasporic culture, apparently. And specifically the complaints have come out of the diasporic community, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Um, Wow, I really didn't want to get into this, but then it just came out. Um, Yeah. So that whole notion of like... Well, I mean, it gave a good chance to to take polyamory as a term down a, a peg because I feel like we overuse it. I agree. And aren't being as specific as we could be. Right. And like, I, I get caught in this loop all the time because I called myself polyamorous for ages and ages. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, no, I'm a hedonist. And <laughs> that's like still kind of true, but I, I'm not monogamous. Like I'm not polyamorous in my opinion, because the culture is not welcoming of me as a full person. So I can't be. Oof. 
I, there are so many things we could talk about in terms of racialized people trying to occupy white spaces that really resonate with polyamory, even though I know a lot of polyamorists do not want to hear that. Yeah. It's not really about what they want when we're no. trying to have a voice as people of color. Hey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we'll probably record that one next. <laughs> yeah. Seeing as we've talked about it now. Um, but yeah. Before, since we're on this rant about various different kinds of conflict, let's, I want to try and move us back on track a little and talk about like, what sorts of conflicts do you see as likely in a Comet partnership? um, Or even have you had in more traditional long-term relationships? Because I see them as different, like traditional long-term relationships versus Comet partners. Very different. Because the expectations are different. Uh Uh-huh. With Comet partners, you may not even interact on a excuse me, on a video call for six months. Like you may literally not talk to them for like four or five months and they may be just as psyched to see you, just yeah. as interested in your life. Whereas I feel like long distance relationships have more of that consistency that Comet mm-hmm. partners don't have. Mm-hmm. Comet partners are like, oh my goodness, I almost forgot this person existed, even though of course neither one of us really forgot. It's, it's almost like you get really busy in your own polycules and in your lives and you're working and you're volunteering and you just like touch base. Every, every once in a while to be like, hey, are you a live comet partner? Oh, good. Yay. I really like you still. Um, like that kind of reaffirmation as needed. And with some of my comet partners, I won't interact with them for like three to five months. Like it can be a long time between interactions. And then suddenly it's like, hey, my health is doing better or I'm coming out more or it mm-hmm. might be something else. Or maybe it's like I've decided I really want to have this type of sex with you. Um, which you can already guess is almost certainly butt sex. But the point <laughs> the point being that people will bring up, like, I want to interact again. Come interact with me. Is it convenient for you? And it's very much this low expectation, low stakes with really high enthusiasm and, like, excitement. And that is a really intoxicating fun mix. It's one of the reasons I love having Comet Partners. Mm. Well, it seems like you've found a way to do novelty effectively. In, right in long-term relationships but it's Mm -hmm. like the nicest thing to have this novelty that you can like bury for a bit and then unearth and be like like i don't know like a i don't want to compare this to being a dog burying toys in a yard but there's this there's this extreme excitement when someone shows interest in you that you're really into especially if there's a reason that you can't experience that with them like for example if i dropped out of the blue um, on you and was like, hey, I'm going to be in New York in three months. And you just heard about this like two weeks before I was coming into New York. You'd be like, oh my God, this is so exciting. Hopefully. Um, right. Versus you being like, hey, it turns out I'm coming to this convention in Vancouver and I have tickets to get there and back, which means I will have like 18 unadulterated hours that we should adulterate. Um, <laughs> you know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> it is novelty. It is excitement. It's all of that like new relationship energy or honeymoon phase type feelings or vibe. And it's just packed into this tight space of like this thing I didn't think was super possible with this person I'm super into is suddenly possible for a limited time. And it's like, it is just a really intense hit of relationship hormones. And like, it's a lot of fun. It's sexually charged. I think comments can be great when they impact. Bam. (laughs) Yeah, and and it's like I'm learning more about your definition of comet partner as we're talking. Mm-hmm. But I'm still open to do more of the traditional thing where you were like, let's try and touch base every month. I'm like, yeah, I've never really been in a functional long-term relationship. And I've also never been in a non-monogamous long-term relationship. So I'm like, I am happy to like explore some of I forgot that you things. had never done that. Yeah. Has you, not happened You fool yet. me with your functionalness. Aw, thank you. <laughs> That's a very sweet thing to say. <laughs> So the last question I have for you before we sign off is how do you usually handle conflicts in long-term relationships or long-distance relationships, sorry, is what I meant to say. Did I say long-term? I meant to say I've never had a long-distance non-monogamous relationship. I heard long-distance. Cool. Yeah. You did say long-term though. But I meant to say, because I have had definitely long-term non-monogamous relationships of up to five years. Yeah. Um. Conflict. Conflict. This, I mean, maybe this is a cop-out of an answer, but, like, it's similar to how I would deal with it in a friendship. Like, the rules are the same, more or less, in my brain. Sure. If there's a conflict... That is my chinchilla. Oh, I've never heard it make a sound like that. It sounded like... 
So it's like, yeah, I think he kind of does that when he either wants like food or water or attention. I'm pretty sure we've given him a lot of all three of those things recently. <laughs> I, I will absolutely <laughs> go check on him in the next like minute or two. Yeah. Do you want to just finish up talking about like what? In fact, if you want, you can talk about what sorts of conflicts are possible and I can go check on my chinchilla. Go check on your chinchilla. I, I will talk about things conflicts conflicts i mean i don't know i i think the main thing is you got to address the conflict as soon as possible i agree and where that becomes tricky with comet partnerships and that are long distance and things like that is um as soon as possible is on a different timeline entirely you know if you live on opposite ends of the country of a country and you know um have different work styles like uh you know you work from home or someone else works from an office you both have other partners and hobbies like getting getting to that conversation right away is going to be different than if you live in the same city or live in the same residence right um so the first thing is yeah just get get together to talk with like audio if not also video as soon as possible because the thing that happens with conflict that gets really twisted if there is lack of connection is is you start to make things up or just the communication can become unclear confusing um misconstrued so much more quickly um if you're if you're not speaking to one another and able to you know see each other um so i think you know get on that phone call asap um try to really get clear about what the conflict is the thing about having conflict with long distance is sometimes it's not a conflict it's just you read that text wrong and thought x when it was really y or you read the message and interpreted it in a way that is just super far from what the person intended, like intent versus impact, like everyone needs to be responsible, but also on a certain level, if you're, if you just read something and had the completely off impression, that's like night and day, then like that happens too. And I think having the, the expectation that those kinds of miscommunications will come up is, is, is something to expect. And something to kind of brace yourself for with conflict that you're just misunderstandings are going to really come up and you you only have words and like the good faith the the understanding of good faith mm -hmm. between people to mm -hmm. get through that also it turns out my chinchilla was fine uh-huh my chinchilla was just really bored which is legit yeah we can take him out and play with him as well he can like bound around and be super freaking soft and adorable yeah um, but yeah, the second I went up to my chinchilla, sorry for the total segue, like departure with no segue, um, but, <laughs> but we were talking about a fluffy, adorable, soft chinchilla right now named Othello. And as soon as I showed up, he like bounded up to me and was like, treats. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, you were such a chit disturber. <laughs> um, so I like gave him a dust bath and he was like, dust bath, dust bath, dust bath. And then I was just like, well, his water and food are fine, but I'll put some fresh food on top of his food because chinchillas are so picky about how stale their food is. Confessions of a chinchilla owner. It's like, chinchillas are really picky. Um, but they're also adorable. And I love this chinchilla very much. And they live really long time, like up to 20 years in some cases. You're stuck with this guy. Oh, not at all. I'm very lovingly. Um, yeah, I didn't mean... Like, you yeah. just said that they live a long time, they meaning do. that you're going to be with... I will be with this chinchilla with, a while. Stuck with, quote unquote. Yeah. Like I just, you're stuck with me. <laughs> sure. I hear what you're saying. <laughs> Did, did I interrupt your point on um, how to deal with conflict? No, I was kind of floundering and saying what I, didn't oh, seem fine. like good advice to me at all, but <laughs> hopefully someone gleaned something from it. Awesome. I'm not I'm not actually conflict averse. Right. I Earlier we were talking about like anxiety that is produced at the idea of creating conflict with someone mm -hmm. that we like. Mm -hmm. But when it's actually happening, I'm not conflict averse in the same way that I'm not particularly jealous. Mm -hmm. So I can offer like suggestions for those things, but they're also not my weak points. I just 
Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I feel like I, I am like a reasonably jealous person, even though I think most people would not describe me as such. Really? I think I've just gotten really good at asking for what I need and like practicing the mindfulness and like self-awareness of my thoughts to be like, what's going on for me right now? And like, what am I experiencing? It's not jealousy. What am I experiencing? And it's like, oh, I'm experiencing, you know, usually a sense of insecurity or I'm experiencing a sense of exclusion mm-hmm. or I'm experiencing like um, a fear of loss. And when I just like talk with my partner and I'm like, hey, I just wanted you to be aware I'm experiencing some jealousy right now because, you know, blah, like whatever it is. Yeah. And I think that's because I'm feeling pretty insecure about my place in your life. And like I was interested in seeing if you could maybe give me some reassurance on like where we stand. And I just really wanted to hear some like like affirmation or validation from you that you do want to be in this relationship and that um, that this is a value to you. And mm-hmm. that you do get you do get important things from me, and like he, even just saying like I wanna, I I have like needs for feeling important, and like if I'm not important in your life, I'd really like to know. Um, mm. Being able to sort of clarify the ways in which relationships are kind of like struggling, and the ways in which I'm struggling personally, because those are two different things. Yeah, and yeah. I think people conflate the two all the time when they deal with jealousy. Yeah, that's interesting. What you described, I wouldn't even think of as jealousy, like having insecurities, doubting where you stand with people, all of that's pretty normal, right? I mean, I'm an an anxious person, so I'm biased, I I guess. I think it's really normal. I think most people experiencing it, experience it. And I think most people would label it jealousy if it's spurred on by another partner or another person. I see. I don't do that part. Maybe Mm -hmm. that's the thing that makes me a little different. I had a lot of like radical self-reliance, completely un- uh, contextualized with power, mm-hmm. uh, coaching, if you will, um, mm-hmm. in my earlier twenties. So I just trained my brain to not like, if I'm feeling those kinds of things, it's just about me. And yeah. the learning part was to still communicate. Like that's yeah. what I do now. And it basically takes care of it for me. That's, that's how, that's how I feel about jealousy though. Like whenever I'm having emotions, Um, whether those emotions are like um, fear of loss or insecurity or exclusion or possessiveness or, you know, envy, whatever it happens to be, I don't see those as being so much about other people than myself. I typically see them as being like, I'm having this emotion and sure, it might have been triggered by another person or like maybe it was, you know, like a lot of stuff got shaken free or jostled by like things that are happening. Right. But like, I'm not going to fix it out there. Mm-hmm. So even if you mm. want to see it as like about other people, like you're not going to fix those feelings outside of yourself, in my opinion. Dang. Yeah, that's like spot on. Yeah. So like you can conceptualize yeah. it however you want. But like for me, I've found the most effective way to deal with it is to be like, okay, like how is this impacting me? Why is it impacting me? What am I actually feeling? Practicing self-awareness, practicing mindfulness of when I'm feeling it. Thinking about where I'm, if I'm having trouble, I'll go back to somatic troubleshooting approaches of being like, I don't know what I'm feeling. Where am I feeling it in my body? Where have I felt this feeling before? What does this remind me of? All those sorts of things. Yep. Gems on jealousy. At least in my opinion, like those those are all things that have helped me a lot. And that's how you deal with conflict. Like Mm -hmm. jealousy is just one topic within that, you know, Mm -hmm. but what you just described of just like being able to identify your feelings and, and know the difference between other people's participation in the co-creation of those feelings at best versus like what is really all of yours, you know, um, all of that is Mm -hmm. how you resolve conflict. Like being able to self-reflect, being able to self-regulate you know, like to check Definitely. in with the somatics of your own personhood and go, what's going on here? And having an ability to answer that. And yeah. I, I didn't want to take a second and be like, neurodivergence exists. Yeah. And um, I don't want to suggest that in an ableist way of like, if you're a person who is unable to do those things right. or do them consistently, right. that that means... Whatever. Yeah. yeah. No, everyone's brains are different. And yeah. some people by their own nature are not ever going to be as connected to the somatics of the, sure. of themselves as other parts of sure. themselves. But if, I, I if also you... think our whole society just sorry to cut you off. I just feel like our whole society has a very weird idea of emotions. And when you look at the research, like emotions don't come out of nowhere. Emotions don't happen to you. They're a consequence of your 
your ideology, your beliefs, your summary of the situation. Like, and the environment. I mean, yes, of course, the environment's what triggers them, but the environment isn't what produces your emotions. Your interpretation uh -huh. of the environment's what produces your emotions. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I encourage people to look at the research about this. Like, look at actual scientists publishing research about this. It is, it is very much like a thing happens in the environment, and people have different beliefs about that thing. Yeah. Anyways, we could, get, we could talk a lot about um, theories of emotion and, like, why I'm so critical of the way people really in a disempowered way look at emotions as happening to them when like emotions are adaptive they're your brain's summary of everything going on that you don't have the time to be consciously thinking about mm -hmm. but a lot of those summaries have to be somewhat hard-coded like you you learn a lot of these patterns and it does take a lot to unlearn them because i feel like mine are below the surface a bit mm. right you have to look at the underlying assumptions and decisions and conclusions and like why you believe certain things at a mean d and e like mm -hmm. why does that jump exist why do you believe that because your emotions are probably just trying to keep you safe they're probably yeah. just trying to help you so yeah. why do you believe that you're unsafe and more to the point how do you believe this emotional response is going to make you safe there there are a lot of things you can troubleshoot in terms of like what i would call a monogamous hangover trying to do non-monogamy but having like a lot of these really harmful monogamous beliefs about like, um, we can just, we could go into tons of them, but we, yeah. I mean, honestly, we're, we're over time and we tackle the, t the topic anyway, but All it's right. useful for the two of us in the sense that we're, I guess, jacking each other off in terms of like, we agree with each other <laughs> and, and hopefully it's somewhat useful to any one of the people listening. Yes. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. our shared episodes are not entirely self masturbatory and <laughs> Hopefully. Anyways, I will bid everyone farewell and we will record another one. Ciao. So how did you like it, Intimates? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions or directly on patreon.com slash Victor Salmon. Both communities are easy to find from intimatepodcast.com. So what are you waiting for? Go join the free Intimates community and start connecting with others. I'll see you on there. Disclaimer. I apologize if I said something that hit a nerve or played off a hateful idea or stereotype. I'm open to being called in. Chances are, in six months, I'll look back aghast and see something problematic I've since grown from. I'm certainly not perfect, but I am trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and the perspectives I encourage. You can email feedback to podcast at victorsalmon.com. Thanks for your kindness. Attribution. The tracks I use are published under the Creative Commons Attribution License. The intro track was Lost Souls by Portrayal, and the outro track was Restoration by Uncle Milk. Land Acknowledgement I apologize first for any pronunciations I might butcher. I wanted to acknowledge that I recorded this podcast on the unceded traditional Coast Salish territories of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Stazuminus, Stolo, Sawasan, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Shout out to the Sekwepmek Nation, on whose land I got my degree, considering the Kamloops Indian Residential School closed only in 1996 when I was 10, I have found nothing but unending patience and kindness in the Tekemlupste Sekwepmek folks with whom I've interacted. Let's never forget genocide in the hope we don't make the same dehumanizing, cruel mistakes again. Thank you.